Welcome to Two Thirds Focused. My name is Raspus, and I'm all alone this week. You see, Jan is still buggered off in Thailand, and Red is off with his family, I assume, having a jolly good time. The fuckers. And I'm left here by myself. So I, I thought I'd give you a couple of Norwegian Christmas stories, fairy tales really, to fill that empty void in your heart that these episodes inevitably would have left if we didn't do something. I didn't do something. Uh, but before I get to that, I just want to tell you a little bit about the, these stories, sort of to give all of you foreign people a little bit of an introduction. These the, uh, these two stories that I'm coming with now, and there, there might be a third longer one later this week, if I get my arse to it. Uh, but these two stories are specifically from the area of Norway where my dad lives in the mountains with old farm and all of that. And I think it's quite a weird thing to have specific names and specific places referred to that you can trace the lineage of and all that in fairy tales. Uh, but I might be mistaken. Anyway, there's these stories were collected by our version of Brothers Grimm, Osbjørnsen and Mo, who traveled the country far and wide and talked to people and wrote down a lot of local fairy tales. And there's a lot of things that is a, a common thread to all of these. And like where in the Central Europe you would have a lot of tales of dragons and knights and all of that. In Norway it's usually more about the common folk just getting in and out of trouble. More, more often than not with like subterranean people like the trolls and Huldur and uh, you have the Nuck, but also like the the Nisse, which is I guess our Christmas Santa Claus, except he's more of a house elf that wears a red knitted cap and all of that, just with a lot of wicked senses of humor and deviousness, and that will help out at the farmer who treats him well, but will also punish those who treat him badly. But the Nisse is. Not a part of these stories, but the trolls are, and a couple of other interesting characters, I guess you could say. Another thing is that all of these stories are got written down in the mid-1800s, which means that we were... They are referring back to the old kingdom of Denmark and Norway, and not our separate Norway, even though technically in 18... 50-ish, we were under the king of Sweden, which is a painful period that we don't like to talk about. But it refers back to the king of Denmark and Norway being in Copenhagen, so that's why you hear those parts. But yeah, I guess that's it. Thank you for listening so far this year, and we'll be back to your regular scheduled shenanigans in another week or so. And... If you don't see another episode with another longer fairy tale, I mean, longer than these two combined, not really long, long, uh, maybe you can pester me about it, or maybe not. We'll see. Uh, but here's two tales, and hopefully enjoy. I mean, editing my own voice is painful. Normally I would do all of the thing of also telling you where to find us and what we do and all of that, but it's Christmas. Bugger all of that. Go watch a good movie, like Claus, the Netflix Christmas movie, or The Boy Who Would Be Santa Claus, I think it's in English. It's a really good Christmas movie. Go watch one of those, if you need more of the 
jolly good Coca-Cola spirit. Anyway, thank you for listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye! The Tabby Cat on Dovre Mountain There once was a man up in Finnmark who had caught a great white bear. He set out with this bear to take to the king of Denmark, and it so happened that he came to Dovre Mountain on Christmas Eve. There he went into a cottage where a man named Halvor lived. He asked if they could put him and the white bear up for the night. Oh Lord bless us, exclaimed the man of the house. We can't put anyone up now. For every single Christmas Eve it's so full of trolls there that we have to move out. We won't even have a roof over our own heads. Oh, you can put me up regardless of that, said the man. My bear can lie under the stove here, and I can lie in the closet. Well, he asked so long that at last I let him stay. The people moved out and everything was made ready for the trolls. The table was decked with cream porridge and lutefisk and sausages and everything else that was good. It was a fine feast. Soon the trolls came. Some were big and some were small. Some had long tails and some had none, and some had long, long noses. They ate and drank and took a bite out of everything. But then one of the troll children caught sight of the white bear, which lay under the stove. He took a sausage and put it on a fork and cooked it, then he went over and thrust the sizzling sausage on the bear's nose. What a sausage, Tabby, he shrieked. The white bear flew up with a ferocious growl and chased out every single troll, both big and small. The year after this, Halvor was in the woods at noon on Christmas Eve to fetch firewood for the holiday, for he was expecting the trolls again. As he was chopping, he heard shouting over in the woods. Halvor, Halvor! Yes, Halvor replied. You still have that big tabby? I do. She's still lying under the stove, said Halvor. She's got herself a litter of seven kids here of her own. And what's more, they're even larger and fiercer than she is. Then we'll never come to you again, the troll shouted while running away through the forest. And since then, the trolls have never again eaten their Christmas feast with Halvor on Dovre Mountain. The Jutul and Johannes Blessom Above Vogo personage rises a pine-covered hill or a small rock with crevices and sheer walls. It is the Jutul's rock to which Storm has dedicated a song. By a trick of nature, a gate shows on the side of the rock's smooth walls. If one stands on the bridge over the wild river Finna or in the meadows on the other side and look at this gate over the hanging birches, floating garlands and lush foliage and make use of a little imagination, it forms a double gate, completed even by a pointed gothic arch. Old white trunk birches stand like columns on both sides, but their tall tops do not reach the beginning of the arch. And should the opening reach but a church length deep, the Vogo church will be able to stand under the pointed arch with roof and spire. This is not any old door or gate, it is the entrance to the Jutul's palace, it is the Jutul's gate, an immense gate through which the biggest troll with fifteen heads could easily pass without bending its neck. When someone in the old days, when there was more association between humans and trolls, would borrow something from the Jutul or speak with him on other business, it was the custom to throw a stone at the gate and say, open up Jutul. A couple of years ago, I came one afternoon to the parsonage to pay a visit. The family was away at the pasture. There was no one home except for an old farmhand, who at my request took me up to the Jutul's gate. We knocked, but no one came to open. It did not surprise me that the Jutul did not want to meet us, or that he now, in his old age, so seldom granted an audience. For if one is to judge by the evidence of a multitude of stones thrown at the gate, he has been overly bothered by visitors. 
One of the last to see him, my companion related, was Johannes Sörigård from Blessem, the farm neighbouring the parsonage. But he surely wished he had never seen him, he added. This Johannes Blessem was down in Copenhagen, and would have his right in legal process, for here in this country there is no justice to be had at these times, and when one wants justice there is nothing for it other than to travel down there. And that is what this Blessem had done, and that is what his son did after him, too, for he too had a case. So it was one Christmas Eve, Johannes had spoken with the big boys and said his bed, and he walked on the streets and was downcast for he was far from home. Straightway as he walked, there passed a man from Vogo, in a white tunic with a pocket clasp and buttons like silver crowns. It was a big, huge man. He thought he should have known him, but he walked so quickly. You walk quickly, you do, said Johannes. Yes, I'm in a hurry, answered the man, for I'm going to Vogo this evening. Oh, how I wish I could go there too, said Johannes. You may go with me, said the man, for I have a horse that takes twelve strides in seven miles. They travelled, and the Blessum had to work hard enough to stay upright on the runners, for they went through weather and wind and he could see neither sky nor earth. Once during the journey they stopped to rest. Where it was he could not tell, but as soon as they set off again he thought he saw a dead man's head on a stake there. And when they travelled a while further, Johannes Blessum began to freeze. Oh, I forgot one of my mittens. They were where we rested, and now my hands are freezing. You'll have to bear it, bless him, said the man, for now it's not too far to Vogo, and there back where we rested was halfway. Before they came to the bridge of Finna, the man stopped and let Johannes off. Now you don't have far to go home, he said, and now you shall promise me that you'll not look behind you if you hear a roar or see a flash of light. Johannes promised though and said thank you for the ride. The man drove on his way across the bridge, and Johannes began to climb the hill to Blessum Farm. But just like that, he heard a roar coming from the Jutul's rock and suddenly it turned so light that he was sure he had enough light to find a needle by. In that moment, he did not remember what he had promised, but turned his head to see what it was. There the Jutul's gate was wide open, and light streamed out of it, as from a thousand candles. In the midst of the opening, he saw the Jutul, and it was the man who was giving him a ride. But from that time, Johannes Blessum's head was crooked, and thus he was so long as he lived.'